Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's May 24th, 2019. You're listening to the greatest PokerCast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. You know, last week I talked about, uh, you know, when's the show going to end and, uh, you know, it's going to be a sad day and it's coming and blah, blah, blah. And not one person said anything. No one That's reacted. No one cares. You get an email saying that somebody was tapping the mic all, all show. <laughs> I know it's not me and I know you're going to say it's not you, so I don't know who it was. But I don't even have a mic. <laughs> I don't either, but yeah, so. If, but we didn't get a comment. We just, <laughs> yeah, just not about that. You think someone will be sad? They might be like, "No, don't do it." But I, you know what? I don't think they care anymore. I think they, they well, don't care about there, us. There was a range of emotions in uh, calling it quits last week, right? The, I didn't watch the Big Bang Theory, but universally, I heard it was a fantastic finale, and uh, so people were were jazzed about that. Uh, people were rioting at the gates over the Game of Thrones terrible finale whatever you want to call it yeah <laughs> so they haven't had time to process the fact that uh, you are um previewing our death <laughs> well let's say previewing it just sort of you know acknowledging it maybe yeah. I, I don't know. but uh, i was just shocked i thought someone would complain or, or laugh or say go ahead i don't care what you do you jerks go away no nothing not even just disdain you know or nothing just I don't know. Apathy is the worst kind of, you know, worst kind of. Well, I, I do hope when the show ends, it is because uh, you have a dragon torch me rather than kissing me and telling me that <laughs> you'll always love me and then stabbing me. Hey, uh, spoiler alert! So many people who haven't watched whatever show it is you're talking about. Oh, I mean, sorry, you just bang. ruined Big Bang. <laughs> I tell you what, it was crazy to see Jon Snow win the Nobel Peace Prize, too. I mean, oh, that was... God. Wasn't it, though? Was I mean, unbelievable. It looked nice on him, though. Yes. Uh, he deserved it, though. I mean, he brought peace, so... <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get on to some poker, will we? Oh, man. All right. Well, the uh, 50th World Series of Poker kicks off next week. And fan favorite Bernard Lee shared some pointers for first-time players in the first of three columns on PokerNews.com. He's played 15 years there now, Chris. Wow. It's hard to believe it's been that long, because, you know... Yeah. When you saw him in those first years when he was making a name for himself and stuff, now it's been over a decade and a half. It's crazy. Yeah, with little pictures of his kids and stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, all right, so his tips. Uh, one, get experience in casino tournaments and preferably in tour events. Two, arrive early. Three, get plenty of sleep and exercise and eat well. And four, pay attention. Now, all these seem fairly pedestrian and... Um, Expected, right? But uh, but there is some genius behind his uh, discussion of all these. I think if you read the whole article on Parkway News, I, I agree, uh, and I think we've sort of every year pretty much touched on these kind of tips with one of our writers somewhere along the way. Every year, our strategy writer, someone will touch on what you need to do and how to do it, and um, but it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It, it, it's as if you're going to be a professional athlete and you need to do exactly what they would do to prepare for a huge event. Uh, it's like the Super Bowl. You think those guys are going to stay out all night and get drunk and and high or whatever and, and not eat and not sleep and just show up red-eyed the next morning and have their best game? It's just not going to happen. So uh, a lot of these tips are very much uh, in line with what pros would do for other kind of uh, events. Well, and I think there are also tips that I think people at home are like, duh, I'm going to do all this stuff, but they end up going out there and not doing it. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. You know, for example, I'm like, you know, get experience in casino tournaments, preferably tour events. You know, I, I, I know there's probably area out there. I'm like, I'm not going to go to World Series Poker and play my first tournament ever, right? Right. But the point there is um, that 
in your home tournament, we've talked about this a lot on the show, your, there's daily tournaments you play in your local casino, you usually end three, four, five hours, right? Mm-hmm. The World Series, you're playing all day long, and then coming back the next day, if you're lucky enough to make it to the next day, and playing all day long again. So it's a completely different experience. So it's not just playing poker, it's um, an endurance test as well. And that's not even just a, that's not even the main event. Imagine yeah, the main event. Every event. Yeah, <laughs> yep. that's every, every event. Every event is at least a two-day event. Um, uh, the Rive Early, I, I, fans that remember way back when we went out there, the one one year that we both played an event, probably remember the story. But um, this was a big deal for me because if you haven't been to the World Series, it is really a sensory overload when you walk in these rooms, right? Because yeah. you've never seen this many poker tables in one room ever. Um, and every year, the more bells and whistles, now they have that big, you know, stadium thing that they have set up for TV coverage. Um, you get vendors all throughout the hallways. It's it's packed, right? Yeah. And it's just it's just the pictures never do it justice, is what we say, right? When right. you get there, it's like so. Um, and I, I was worried about that. I'm like, I, I didn't want to have to run around trying to find my table because it takes. I mean, there's a lot of rooms and it's really hard to find your table. So I went the night before, found my table. You know, kind of got acclimated to the the space. So you know, I wasn't like overwhelmed the next day. Next day, I show my ticket to my table. I'm waiting, but there's a tournament going on at my table. <laughs> and I'm like, that's kind of weird because my tournament's starting in 15 minutes. And then about five minutes before it started, I realized I was at the wrong table and I scoped out the wrong table the day before. And then I had to hurry up and find my right table, which is out in that stupid Pee Wee Herman tent. Remember that? Yes. That was the one year they did that. Yes, and it was hot as hell out there. So then I got all ra- uh, frazzled because I had to rush and find my table, got down, and it totally destroyed all the prep that I had done. <laughs> um, so when you get there early, get there even earlier. <laughs> Make sure you're at the right table because that really is the, the frame of mind. You can't be frazzled when you sit down. I mean, you've got to be rested and ready to go. So, um, And there's plenty of sleep. I mean, here's the thing. People think about that, too. But I'm like, you get to Vegas, there's a lot of distractions, isn't there? Not to mention the time change for a lot of people. You time know, change is a huge one, yeah. Jet lag, you should get there early, get acclimated. Not just the actual tournament, but get to the actual Las Vegas early so you can get used to waking up at the right time because most of these tournaments start at like noon or something or 11 a.m. or whatever. So, I mean, you you know, if you're used to getting up, you know, on the East Coast at 8 o'clock, well, it's going to be 5 o'clock in the morning out there. So, you know, I mean, you got to get acclimated to that too. So it's not just getting to the place early; it's also getting to the state early. You know, and getting to the city. So, yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, it's but hard it's, to get sleep. It's easy to get there and like, all right, great. Uh, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm so uh, have so much excitement. I, I can't go to sleep now. So you go out and get a couple of drinks. You go see the Celine Dion show or whatever it is, and then you don't get enough sleep and you wake up and then you're tired. And again, I guess it goes back to the the length of the events. You know, you don't get a nap break in these. So. You know, you need to you need to be well rested when you get there because it's going to be a grind because you're going to be tired at the end of the day. And uh, it's another reason why when you see all these top notch pros, they go out and they rent a house for a month before you know they get there, yeah. and they're they're living in a place where they're comfortable. They got all of their stuff, all of their little need things, and all the stuff they want around them, and they go back to a normal bed, a normal situation, no one banging on the walls and crap less at night. Right, yep. exactly. That's why the that's what the pro. Not saying that you should do that. But that's why they do it is because they want all of these things to fall in line for them. They want to be completely relaxed, have as much sleep as they want, be as comfortable as possible, be able to eat well because they shopped at the Quickie Mart or whatever it was beforehand. And, you know, it's just it's it's a it's a smart, smart thing to do. And eat well is really important, too. You got to time your meals right, because, uh, you know, again, you you don't want to be hungry at the table. I mean, if you're the type that can take those little power ballers and snacks in your backpack, that's great. But I think you need to have a, a good meal right before you get there because um, that dinner break is going to go quick. And it is not easy to get in and out of the food court there quickly. And you may not like what you have there. And they, they've done a good job of making the food court um, a good variety there. And I still wander, uh, whine about the prices every year, but at least a good variety. But it's also, remember, on a break, everybody's on break. So um it, it's really good to kind of plan out your meals and understand the timing and, and not have to worry about that um particularly because you're also trying to figure out where the bathrooms are and get the lows lines get long as well too so 
Um, that's important. And then the pay attention. I'm like, this is really hard to do, I think, at the World Series because, again, especially your first time, right? Because, yeah. again, we're talking about that sensory overload. So you're the table, and now you've got this excitement. Like, I'm literally playing in the World Series, even if it's a $500 event, or I think there's like a 365 this year, right? Right. Even if it's the lowest buy-in event, you're playing in the World Series. That's pretty cool. That's something to say. I mean, it's a little bucket list kind of thing, right? Yep. And then you find yourself there, and then there's just so much to take in and look around. And you really need to be focused on just eight people, <laughs> the other eight people at your table and how they're playing and be able to block out the rest of it. And, uh, and Bernard Lee's right. I'm like, you know, you turn this, turn off your phones, uh, take the headphones off, don't bring the tablet and, and watch Game of Thrones again, you know, the good seasons. <laughs> and, um, you know, just you're there to play in the World Series, so... Literally watch every hand and get to know your players. And, you know, I know it's it's tough to do these days because so many of us just go and tune out um, and just play our cards for the most part. But there, you got to play the players more than anywhere else. So I agree. And it, it's I, I still remember the, the event I entered. Uh, it was a couple of days after you, I think. Um, but it, it was just like it, that was the exact time when – Florida was getting hundred dollar buy-in when trying to approve the hundred dollar buy-in to have true no limit. We, had, we didn't even have true no limit here. We only had tournaments or whatever it was. And um, I remember two guys at my table were from Florida, and I was like, my first event it was fifteen hundred bucks. It was not you know not cheap. And I'm sitting there and I'm trying to to play my best game. And then you got these guys saying, you know, where's everybody from? So they ask you, and you're like, Florida. He's like, oh, I'm from Florida, too. Did you hear about the $100 buy-in going? It's going to go through. And I'm like, yeah, probably. And he's like, what do you think about that? And they start trying to have conversations with you. Meanwhile, I'm trying to watch people and see if they have any kind of tells, any kind of betting patterns. But he just, you know, they just wouldn't let it go. So you really got to force yourself, if it's your first time and you're not used to that situation, to really make the environment that you are com- most comfortable in. Like when you... Are doing well at your local casino or your local card room? Try to duplicate that somehow. Try to, you know, when he says take off the headsets or anything like that. I mean, if that's the way you play your best poker, then I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't. Don't make yourself uncomfortable to try to make yourself comfortable. It you know, doesn't make sense to me. Right, so, right. but uh, yeah, I remember that day, and I just remember trying to take it all in and and still try to play the best poker possible. But there are distractions, so be built, uh, diligent when you're doing it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So. But definitely check out the, the entire column at PokerNews.com, and he's going to have two more coming up as well, too. And if you're going out for the first time, good luck, and, and let us know how you do. It's always very exciting. Yeah, very cool. All right, more World Series news this week. Uh, voting is open now for the World Series of Poker's first 50 honors. Boy, I've been practicing saying that all week. It's not easy to say. First 50 <laughs> honors. Uh, there are seven awards spanning historic moments in the 50 years of the series. Voting is open through June 15th. And by voting, you're entered to win one of several prizes, including a WSOP tournament entry and also VIP tickets to the June 29th First 50 Gala, where the winners will be announced. Uh, to vote, go to uh, WSOP.com slash promotion slash 50-first-honors-nv. I think if you get to the WSOP.com, you can probably Yeah, count. I don't think they're going to be writing down what we just said, so just go there. <laughs> You'll find it. Uh, you know, so these categories, some of them are good, some of them are hilarious. Um, the one that I thought was the most hilarious was the third one. It was, like, most likely to succeed, like, you know, the high school. Uh, yeah, like high school, yeah. Yeah, but it's like, uh, so who do you think is going to be the most likely to succeed at the World Series of Poker? Uh, they currently have to be younger than 35 or 35 and younger, and then they it's going to be who do they think is going to win the most bracelets between 2020 and 2070? 70, yep. <laughs> it's like, okay, so we uh, won't be alive to find out if we were right 50 years ago. <laughs> it's like, wow, that what are they thinking with that category? I love the World Series. I love the people and all that stuff. And, you know, without them, we'd have very little content in the magazine these days. But seriously... Uh, that number three has got to go. Um, now, I haven't gone through and voted yet, so I don't know uh, who's all the nominees for these. Um, and do they have nominees? Or yeah, I don't is know that... if they even have nominees. I think they just okay. you fill it in. Uh, well, so i got to wonder here. I'm like, the Vegas line on WSOP's favorite bad boy has got to be like total chalk on Phil Helmuth, right? Right. <laughs> can you think of anybody else, maybe? Maybe Matt Asama can make it run there, but really? 
I know. And most impressive main event win. I'm like, still, how, how do you how do you not uh, vote for a moneymaker for that? Yep, yep. I mean, I there's been a lot of impressive wins, but that one was that one started it all, and it was the most unlikely at the time that it could possibly even happen that way. The whole big bluff on Farha at the end. I mean, there's so much about that that was just really impressive. I mean, yeah. I guess you can make a case for Jamie Gold just completely dominating, but uh, but I, I still remember that. Uh, Moneymaker putting his arms up with his baseball hat on backwards and hugging dad. And yeah, I mean, yeah. That's a tear jerking scene there, right? That's yeah. going to be hard to get past. So, but uh, go vote and figure out how to get there because you're not going to be able to go to that website that I just mentioned. They should have made that a little shorter and easier. Yeah, voting's through June 15th, so you got some time. Um, but yeah, I, that one, that one, that third one was hilarious. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. I love it. <laughs> All right, Daniel Negreanu and former Poker News host Amanda Leatherman tied the knot in California last week. We were not invited, Chris. Why uh, We were the only ones not invited, apparently. Jeez. In um, what Phil Elmuth tweeted was, quote, the poker social event of the season. Uh, who is who of the poker world was on hand for the nuptials of the couple who briefly dated in 2010 before reigniting the romance last year. And the Dan Band performed at the reception. That would have been worth going just to see that. <laughs> oh, the Dan Band. I'm happy for him. It's funny because uh, when they said he married Amanda Leatherman, I thought to myself, I know who Amanda Leatherman is, and I can't for the life of me remember why I know who she is. You know, And I, I know she was a Poker News host because you have it here, and that's what made me, when I looked at the file, I thought, oh, that's right, she was blonde, and I remember, that. I remember her now. But it's just, you know, we're, we're just so focused now on everyday players and state-by-state state stuff and region-by-region region and stuff that... You know, I'm just totally removed from the the A list of poker now. You know. Yeah, I mean, you probably would have remembered if it was one of the uh, World Poker Tour hostesses that we killed off. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like any World Poker. Yeah, Tour if you marry Shauna Hyatt, I think I'd remember who that was. <laughs> but uh, Amanda Leatherman, I just I remember the name. And I remember her being like friends with Joe Seawalk and stuff. They were like tight, and they might they might have dated. I'm not sure, but they were tight and stuff. So. I, it all comes back to you when you see the the poker news host. That's what made me think of it. If I if I just looked at Amanda Leatherman, I'd have been like, I know this name, I know this name, you know. <laughs> Can't place it. But I that saw Dan Grano. I'm like, where do I know that name from? <laughs> I saw um, Matt Savage's posts and stuff like on social media and uh, pictures of them like dancing the first dance or whatever and stuff. And I'm happy for them if they're happy and they're you know they're meant to be. That's great. Good for them. Yeah, I was gonna say you don't have to go down to the uh, Walgreens and get an issue of people to look the photos <laughs> of this wedding like you did other celebrity ones. Like everybody there was tweeting and facebooking it. So. Uh, pictures and videos everywhere if you're into that stuff. Um, the other thing I think, too, is just, you know, we're, we're getting old, right? Yeah. Um, and I had this conversation last week with someone that uh, it's been six years since I've been to a wedding, at least. Wow. Any wedding. Yeah. And that, that was the first one in probably six years before then. <laughs> I'm like, you would think as many, as, as often as people get divorced and then remarried now that, at our age, we would be going to second and third weddings, and uh, just haven't. So it's really weird. I, I just haven't been to weddings in a long time. So it was kind of nice just to see the pictures of them, and they did it, you know, that, that good old outside California celebrity-type wedding that you expect, and it looked nice. You know, it wasn't for me, but it, it would have been nice to be there had you invited well, it. Yeah, like you touched on it there. It's not like there's not a lot of weddings going on around you, Scott. They just don't want you there. Yeah, that's probably true. They're not that's inviting right. you. That's what Well, it, certainly it, if it's it. an open bar, I don't get invited. Probably. <laughs> You're going to break the house if, they, <laughs> if you show up at the wedding. Oh, oh, but he had a super nice suit, though. I'll give him credit for that. Everybody always pays attention to, to the uh, the bride at the wedding. And uh, don't get me wrong, Amanda looked fantastic. But uh, Daniel uh, brought out all the stops with his uh, blue suit and Jimmy Choo's shoes and everything like that so you know i don't get into that i mean i i, I do it I, I do have a very soft spot for royal weddings i do get up and watch those so i know that's kind of sick to admit but um the, but that's the pomp and circumstance but the rest right. of these weddings i don't care about but it was nice to see that they they went all out so but so congratulations to the couple and and hopefully he does well at the world series this year just know that there is a photo out there of me and you dressed to the nines with roses looking hungrily into each other's eyes from a cruise ship. <laughs> that yes. photo exists somewhere. <laughs> I can't believe you gave me a rose that night. Kept me on the show for another week. That's right. You've accepted it, too. You said, of course, I'll accept this rose, Christopher. Any updates? Uh, we are proud to be the presenting sponsor of the Texas Poker Championship, a series of three more tournaments in four Texas poker clubs in May 
August and December to help fund the Social Card Clubs of Texas organization. Each series features day ones at Texas Card House in Austin and SA Card House in San Antonio, with the final held at one of the clubs. The current series runs through May 26th and presently is headed uh, with an overlay. What did they say? Foreign overlay. Oh, foreign. Are you killing me? Foreign overlay with two day ones remaining and with the uh, the final in San Antonio. For more details, uh, visit socialcardclubsoftexas.org. We have a four-night Antioch Poker Cruise sailing to the Bahamas in August and an eight-night Southern Caribbean adventure over Halloween. Passengers on all sailings get a one-month membership to advanced poker training, a quick reference poker odds card from thegamblingschool.com, and a custom card cover from the Poker Depot. Depot. All the details at antiotmagazine.com slash cruise. I get the hard words I messed up. You get depot. Yeah, depot. <laughs> well, you know what it is. I, I, you're at home and I'm at home, and you're scrolling through with your mouse at your place, and because we're using Google Docs, the little <laughs> pink line went through the word, and I couldn't read it, so I couldn't see what <laughs> I was reading. You read it every week. It's I know, I know, I know, but I just I I was reading it verbatim, and I couldn't see no what memory. I couldn't see what it was. Each week, we spotlight a listener who emails at podcast.antiopmagazine.com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Cold War and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. See, I did that by memory. This comes from Sam Valdemarson. That sound right? Uh, yes. So uh, the good thing is he shortened his name for the show for us. So Sammy V? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, I haven't played poker or listened to poker podcasts for a few years now, but recently started playing live 1-2 cash games in underground clubs here in Iceland, uh, and I'm doing all right. I will be in Las Vegas in July for a conference and plan on extending the trip a bit to play some poker. My conference will be in Mandalay Bay. The cash games in Iceland are much more loose-aggressive than what I remember from playing in Las Vegas. There are the occasional nits, a few calling stations, but many loose-aggressive guys, uh, some which are winning thinking players, but some that are just reckless gamblers. Many players straddle the $5 or $10, and then restraddle is not uncommon. In the loose aggressive games, I usually play fairly straight ABC poker, but put in the occasional bluff against guys who I know have pegged me as a tight player. I was hoping you could give me some advice on how to navigate the Las Vegas poker scene. Uh, has the quality level of poker changed much in the recent years? Are there any poker rooms that you would recommend or advise me to stay away from uh, given that I mostly play low-stakes cash games. All right, well, I told Sam one thing. Uh, I haven't played a lot of cash in Vegas recently. I don't get out there as much as we used to. Uh, and I don't. God, when's the last time you've been out there? I think 2010 might have been the last time. <laughs> okay, so. So we may not be the best poker host to ask this question, but uh, I will say from the folks that have been out there and what they've told me, um, I don't think the play has gotten any better. Uh, I mean, it's gotten any worse. Um, it's probably about the same. Um, again, it depends where you go. So remember, Vegas is a big place. There's still 40 poker rooms there, I think. Um, and most of the smaller rooms on the strip are populated by tourists, which, generally speaking, um, are weaker players. Not all of them, of course. Um, so, you know, if you're at Mandalay Bay and you play there, you're probably going to get a decent one-two game compared to what you have been playing in Iceland. If you go to the uh, the Aria or Bellagio or Venetian, it might be a little bit tougher. But here's the other thing, too. The tougher players don't play one-two, do they? You know, so... Sometimes sometimes uh-huh. they do, but yeah. Like, sometimes. The last time when you and I were in the Venetian together and we were playing uh, with Elliot, remember that? Oh, yeah. Uh, there were some guys who were really good players, like name pros that were playing the one-two at the Venetian. So it, it, you're right; it, you very rarely will run into quality, incredible. But there are guys who make a living playing one-two. So, but in Vegas, I really think that what Scott's saying will hold true, like forever. I think as long as those casinos are the big names and stuff like that, I think the the the, the rooms that really take care of the players, stuff like that, then you're going to find decent pros there. And if you're going to the rooms that have just regulars, the guys who are just there every day spending their social security check, a lot of those guys are they're tough to get a dime out of, you know. So yeah. it's well, and they also don't play on the strip very much. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. They usually play outside so, the strip. You know, again, there are some forty poker rooms there and hundreds and hundreds of tables, right? So, right. and one two is not hard to find. Uh, pretty much every room is going to have one or more or several one two games going on. So. 
you know, if you do find yourself within the first half an hour and you're looking around and you're like, gosh, these guys are pretty good, that's not indicative of every table in every room, right? So right. the thing about cash, and that's what you say he wants to play, is you can rack up your chips and, uh, and you can either, obviously you can ask for a seat change or you can walk across the street <laughs> right down the, or next door and try to get in a game there. Um, and you're not going to be waiting very long to get in games. You'll probably be able to sit wherever you want for the most part. Depends when in July we're going because the World Series is still going on. So you got to remember that and get some sharper players in for that. But other than that, I mean, yeah, I mean, table selection is super easy in Vegas because of that. Because there's so many tables and so many casinos as long as you're willing to work for it. Um, so there's no reason to be stuck in a game that you don't think you can beat or that you think the players are better than you are. Like you might be if you go to, you know, middle of nowhere, right, where there's one casino and that's it right, so right. so you know don't feel like you have to, to sit in a sit in a bad game um get up and move around especially if you don't mind doing that i will say that i when i was there the five or six years in a row that i went um i definitely won the most money uh on the strip um although i i did do well at the orleans I, you know i i did well at that that four eight stud eight Raz game, whatever we played through the night that time, I did well that night. But for the most part, I I won the most money uh, off of people who are obviously not really know really didn't know what they were doing at rooms like. Well, back then it was the IP. I don't know if they had, I don't know if they have a room anymore, but uh, no, it was, it was well, the link, and then they closed it. Yes, yeah, exactly. So there's not even a room there. But like I did well at the Mirage, but a lot of good players will be at the Mirage. So, um, but yeah, mostly mostly strip rooms were the best rooms. Uh, although I did okay at the Golden Nugget when we went down there that time, so I, I don't know. But I, I, the Strip is definitely where, like Scott said, that's definitely where the easy money is. You just got to find it. Um, and the last tip I'll give you and everybody else is going out for the series to play this year. Uh, when you play in these rooms, I think the absolute first question you should ask when you sit down the table with the dealer is, "Are there any promotions going on?" Right. Um, and I'll tell you this because it cost me a hundred bucks at our last Andy Poker Tour event in Viquiwa. I don't think I, I remember not mentioning this on the show, uh, but I sat down and played cash the very first night. Had pocket aces, got them cracked. I don't normally like to flip my cards up, so I mucked them. And then two days later, uh, somebody at the table gets the aces cracked and they get a rack. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, and I look over the poster and they're like, aces crack, get a rack. Uh, all week long, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> hundred dollars I just threw away because they didn't turn my cards over. So, um, so one thing to remember, especially if you're in Vegas and you're you're going room to room to room, you know, it, it's always a good question to ask. I mean, no one's going to be upset if you ask it because it just you know informs everybody and a good deal will tell you what it is, and you know it may not be a big deal to you, but. In that kind of situation, I wish I would have known. <laughs> yeah, and of course, the two publishers of the friggin' poker magazine that is out there that says what all's going on in all these rooms should be bringing that up as well. Pick up our <laughs> magazine and look in the back of the magazine where it says where to play and find your rooms there and then say, hey, what do they have for specials and tournaments? And then, you know, confirm with them when you get there, yeah, the special's still going on. But uh, we work really hard on this magazine. <laughs> to make sure that we list all of these promotions that are going on and keep them up to date in the magazine. So please pick up our magazine when you get there and take it with you to Iceland. <laughs> hey, uh, we can complete O'Malley's move today, so we're going to refresh our memories here, and we'll see you on the other side. Here's part one. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we're playing your garden variety, $1, $2, no limit hold'em in our regular casino. Standard 1-2 action, however there is one monster stack at the table of 2400 He goes in waves of aggressiveness and passivity, but generally dictates the action. The other players want to wait and see what he does before they make any moves. We sit with 300 up 100 The game is nine-handed. The blinds post, the under the gun and plus one fold, and an MP directly to the right of the monster stack takes a glance at the monster stack, glances at his chips, and then slowly calls. The monster stack folds, and it's to us in the hijack with the nine of hearts, nine of clubs. This is a decent hand, but I'm really not wanting to raise. The MP who hesitated and then called has gone through a rough patch lately. He's had to rebuy after back-to-back suckouts diminished his stack. 
He had a round 400, lost 200 to a new player at the table on a suckout, and then lost the rest of his stack when his flop set lost to the monster stack's rivered flush. He sits with 200 and hasn't done a whole lot that has been out of line. However, he has gotten way more conservative. The button calls. Small blind calls. Big blind checks. There's roughly $10 in the pot, and the flop is the 8 of spades, 6 of diamonds, 5 of spades. We have a straight draw, but no spades. The small blind and big blind check, but the MP makes a $15 bet into the pot. My curiosity has peaked. We call. Everybody else folds, and with $40 in the pot, the turn is the deuce of clubs. The MP thinks for a short period of time before betting $30. We call. Maybe we should have raised at some point leading up to this? The pot is around 100 and the river is the tray of hearts. Our opponent leads for $60, leaving him about 100 behind. So, action's on us. What's the move? All right, well, normally I would think this is a pretty easy raise for me. It's almost unheard of to make it to the river without an overcard to pocket nines, but here we are. Uh, my only pause is that our opponent has been described as playing more conservatively after taking some lumps in this game, so I have to give him a higher chance of uh, cautiously playing a higher pocket pair here than normal. On balance, I think it's best to simply call here and regret not raising a worse hand than it is to raise a better hand. You know, many times this scenario has happened in our now extinct home game. You know, where someone, and I'm not saying who, Lance, uh, would play a hand this way and then turn over like pocket queens. So, yeah, I, I like a call here. If we raise, do we really think a now timid player is going to call with a worse hand? So um, I don't want to raise. So let's just call, and if, if, uh, if we're wrong, we mitigate our losses. Here we go, part two. Hello again. This play has me confused. He's been mostly gun-shy since those two bad beats, but he doesn't seem like he's tilt-pushing the action here. He's doing everything that would indicate he has a strong hand, but he also seems like he genuinely wants me out. He's giving off some extreme low-confidence tells, and had I been able to stop and put recent events into perspective, I may have been able to figure this one out. We call. Our opponent sighs and tables aces. We muck our nines and he rakes in the pot. He's been expecting to get sucked out on so completely that he played aces in a very strange way. Perhaps we should have figured that one out. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying sometimes your opponent's mood can dictate their play. Make sure you take everything into account before acting. I hope to see you on the felt. Uh, O'Malley kind of tipped his hand with a description of the player here. Was he one of the writers in the final season of Game of Thrones? <laughs> I think he might have been. <laughs> Uh, but the lesson is a good one nonetheless. Uh, when something smells like a trap, it often is a trap. Yeah, I'm really glad we didn't raise. Uh, interesting that he overbet the pot on the flop like he was scared of being drawn out on. Right? Well, he, was super, he played his hand super scared. Yeah. Here's a lesson for the opponent here that did it. If you're playing that scared, it's time to get up. It's a cash game, right? If it's a tournament, you're, you got to finish it out and try to figure out how to get back in your zone. But a cash game, if you've gotten that many beats i tell you what this guy's doing. He's chasing his losses, and yeah. he is more than likely going to lose more because he's not playing properly. Yep, that's right. So, I mean, I know it's tough to get off when you just peeled off 200 400 600 bucks, um, but it, it's not your day. And if you keep playing there trying to think that it's magically going to become your day, you're going to wake up the next morning like, God, did I... I lost a thousand in that game. I should have got up when I was only down four hundred, right? <laughs> right. Um, so you know, I feel bad for O'Malley that uh, they lost his hand, but I, I really feel worse for the other player who I'm sure it was probably going to lose a pretty big. I leave left that game that night, pretty big loser at some point, even though he won the hand. Yeah. All right, it's time for demandspokertraining.com and of the week. Send your hand situations to podcast.antiopmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training. The world's number one poker training site. Our all-star Vic G back in the house, Chris. Vic G! All right, so I'm playing in a nine-handed, one-two no-limit hold'em game with a $200 max buy-in. Uh, down uh, down here in uh, south of us in Naples. We haven't been down there in a while. But, oh, wow. Uh, they're getting ready to build a new room, Vic. I hope they get down there and check that out when they get it open. Uh, he says, not my, not my usual room, and there are a few rules that differ from my local poker room. Uh, first, there's a betting line, and any chips crossing that line constitute a bet. Uh, second, any attempted raise for less than the full raise is ruled a call, 
For example, if it's $100 a call and you put $199 across the line, it's just a call. The room also has one, two, and five dollar chips in play. Uh, these are the ceramic type, well worn. So the one and two dollar chips are sometimes difficult to tell apart. There's a five hundred dollar high hand promotion on for each thirty minutes, and tables filled with snowbirds and local retirees looking to hit it. Okay, I didn't, I didn't write any of that out, by the way. I just yeah. kind of committed it to memory. Yeah. He's setting us up here. I can tell already. Dick likes to set the scenes. So. Yeah. Uh, play is very tight with two exceptions. My younger brother who's on the right and a 40-something seated on my left who sits with Squiggly 450. Three of us have been active and put pressure on the rest of the table uh, to pick up pots. I've been running good and playing well. I even folded pocket queens pre-flop to my brother when I three-bet his $12 opening raise to $22, and he re-raised his 60 bucks. I have the table covered. He usually does. Yeah. It's good. All right, the other gun player puts on a five-hour straddle. You can uh, only imagine how the oxygenarian crowd hates this. That's so true. <laughs> hey, count me as one of them. I'm on Team Cocoon on this one, man. <laughs> team Cocoon. There <laughs> uh, four players in the field. My brother folds a small blind, and we're in the big blind with King of Spades, Jack of Diamonds. Yeah. Well... I don't know. I mean, I, I, the thing about the straddle is likely he's just like a blind player at this point. So, you know, I mean, if you have a hand, you generally want to, and you're behind him, you really generally want to raise the blinds and, you know, have some money to play for and have position on him the rest of the way. In this case, yeah, okay, it's a straddle and it's like a blind, except that if he calls you or whatever you do, he's going to have position on you. So if you know you're, uh, the type of person that can play this player rather than worrying about your cards, then, you know, you can take advantage of the situation. Um, you know, I, it's a decent hand uh, when it's just you. And you say it's one other caller? Uh, no. No, it's just callers, us. Four callers. Oh, four callers. So we got a bunch of callers. So I might just limp along with it um, because it's the type of hand, it's a trap hand. It's the type of hand that get you in trouble if you don't hit it hard. Uh, although there's no razors yet, too, so you could have the best hand. Who knows? Um, I don't know. I, I I don't like being out of position because uh, no matter what happens, you're out of position here, except because of small blank fold. It's no matter who calls, no matter what happens, you will not be acting last. So I don't know. I don't I don't really like this hand, but with so many callers, I'm probably just going to call along. Uh, I know Vic's real aggressive and he likes to raise. He'll probably do something like that, but in my in my uh, and my ability and my experience, I like to just call along and try to hit it really hard and get get the right money to draw. We got a bunch of guys there, so if we hit some sort of queen ten, you know, whatever on the flop, then we'll have pretty good odds to to draw it and um, even an overcard on top of it. So I, I like to just call here. Yeah, I mean, if I was as good as Vic, uh, I would be playing this hand. I am not as good as Vic, so I'm folding this hand. Um, uh, it, it, there's nothing about this hand I like. I, I don't like King Jack. Uh, it's so easy to be dominated. Um, I don't like the position that we're in, uh, in the big blind, which means we're going to be first to act uh, the whole time. Um, really, the only thing to kind of like about this is you got a bunch of callers in here, and it's probably a pretty tight table, right? So you can probably um, outplay some of these folks on the flop. Now, I don't know what the under-gun player is like. Um, usually if you straddle, you've got a little game in you. It doesn't mean you're better. It just means you have some gamble in you. So they're harder to push off of hands. Um, so I, I just don't like this spot at all. I'm, this is an easy fold for me. Um, and, uh, again, as I say often, uh, just because it's a discount doesn't make it a deal. So I know it's only 3 bucks here, but I'm going to fold. If I'm going to play this, I think the way this hand's coming down now, i got to raise. i got to tell the straddler... I've got something, so if you're going to do your little cutesy straddle raise, uh, uh, not today, as Ari would say. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, and then maybe get some of these limpers out of this pot as well, too, uh, and they increase my chances of winning here. So I'm going to play it. I'm going to raise. Uh, I'm not that kind of. I'm not that good of a player to raise from the big blind in this situation. So I'm going to fold. But. Yeah, like I said, I... Oh, it's just really setting yourself up for trouble. Even you said it, too. I'm like, if you get a queen 10, that's that's great. But now you're asking for two cards to come, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and same thing with king, king, jack, jack would be great on the flop as well, too. So you're you're looking for a two-card flop here. Um, and that that's a lot to ask, um, even for the three bucks, so... Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. And again, the out-of-position thing and the trap hand and putting more money in the pot... 
and then you don't know what the, the straddler is going to do. There's a lot of things against you here um, that would point to a fold. Uh, but I'm so tired of just folding every hand of the week because that's why it's a hand of the week because usually they run into trouble. So I know I'm, we are. I know we are. But remember, folks, in one two no limit, the, the blinds don't go up, folks. Yeah, so. there's another hand in a minute. Yeah, so like, the best players know how to squeeze money out of every hand. But yeah, as your average recreational player of the room, you don't have to do that. You can you can wait for the right spots and 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 be a, a profitable player. Yeah, um, yeah. This yeah. is not a good spot unless you are of the G's quality of play. So. But definitely not fault anyone for folding this hand. Absolutely. All right, so Vic says this is a nice hand to see a flop with, even if we're out of position. While Rays would uh, more than likely fold out three or four of the remaining players, I'm content to just call and see what the other gun player has in mind. Holy cow. Ugh. Well, but again, you know, he knows how to play. He's uh, oh, oh. asking for trouble, I think, but he seems to get out of trouble pretty well. So can't, can't believe we're doing the same thing. As I, I agree with Vic. This is crazy. <laughs> uh, our villain taps the table, and we're six to a flop with 26 in the pot. Uh, with the aggressive rake and drop counting for. Um, flop is the king of clubs, jack of clubs, eight of diamonds, and our first act. Uh, well, here's the deal. I never like letting other people decide how to play the hand. Right. Especially when I hit it hard like this. I, I, let's just say we decide to try a trap. Most of these people, if they're not aggressive, if they have a draw, they're not going to bet it. And they're going to be nervous because there's six people in the pot. So if you check, there's a good chance it checks around and then somebody makes their draw for free. A lot of draws out there, yeah. Lots of draws here. Very wet board. Clubs, straights, all kinds of straights, too. 9-10, queen-10, ace-queen, which probably isn't in there. Ace-queen's probably not in there. But still, I like to bet this hand. And if I take it down for 26 bucks for a $3, $2 investment, <laughs> hey, if I can make twenty six or thirteen times my money every time I play a hand, every hand, absolutely, yeah. I'd be ecstatic. So I think I'm just going to bet a decent amount here to try to get them to discourage to to draw out on me. And and if somebody wants to raise me or something, then you know we'll probably go to the felt. But um, I don't mind a nice, nice, almost pot sized bet here, if not a pot sized bet here. Yeah, if you're doing anything but betting this flop, uh, turning your poker card now. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As you mentioned, there's too many ways you can lose this hand by checking. I mean, even uh, not just the straights or flushes. I mean, somebody, somebody with king queen, yep, I'll kick you later on, which is the problem with king jack in the beginning. So there's a lot of ways you're going to lose this hand by uh, not putting the hammer down. Now, the other thing too, especially in one two, I, I think if your game is a checking, I mean, trapping kind of game, um, you're probably going to trap yourself more than you trap others. You know, these players are not as sophisticated as other players. I mean, how many times have you, uh, have you bet a hand like this all the way to the end, and someone calls and you turn over and like, oh, you did have it. You know, yes, I did have it. Thank you for calling all the way. Right? <laughs> exactly. So you get more money that way. I mean, it's you don't have to, like, trap everybody and, and suck them in on every hand. Um, there are a lot of players out there that just won't believe you or want to keep paying just to find out whether you had it. So we have it here. Let's bet it. Let's keep betting it. And at the end, turn it over to this hand, win the pot, and have somebody go, oh, you had it. <laughs> So you agree with your mom about twenty five bucks? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, it, in fact, I, I like that because it's an, kind of an overbet. Um, so it sounds like we're scared, and, and to some degree we are, but um, we're not as scared as we should be, um, or not as scared as people might think we are uh, by making that bet. You know, a twenty six uh, pot size bet here is going to look like uh, a single king rather than the king jack we have. So. Um, and you're right. If we take down the twenty six bucks, that's better than I would have got out of this. I mean, I I would have lost two dollars on this hand. So it's <laughs> pretty nice turnaround. So, uh, all right. Vic says I normally I bet about twenty bucks in the spot, but I'm a little cautious with the villain on my left and four tight players who are only here trying to hit a five hundred dollar high hand. So I opt to check. Uh, well, I'm interested to hear the uh, logic behind this. Oh, you gotta have him turn in his card, Scott. You told him if you don't bet this spot, you gotta turn in the card. So. Boy, boy, that's going to kill our show. <laughs> don't don't stop playing, Vic. Please, please don't stop playing. <laughs> uh, he says, I'm not planning on folding, but check raise may be in order. So let's see what the action is first. I'm like, all right. So, yeah, if you check here with the intention of check raising, that's fine. Hopefully a bet's there. Now you've still thinned the field. But if if but you still get that danger of checking around, 
I think you're asking for a lot, hoping for a check raise here. But. The other thing, too, to think about here, Scott, is he just mentioned the whole high hand thing. If somebody's trying to hit a royal on us or a straight flush, then they're not going to fold. Yeah. And so why not bet? not going to bet either, right? They're going to wait until they hit it, right? Right. So why not? Why not? I don't know. Why not bet? You're going to get the money out of them anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So he says, uh, let's see what the action is first. Uh, we check. Uh, villain bets $12. Three of the four players in the field make the call. Yep. See, everybody's going for the high hand, right? Yep. And he says, that's surprising. Eh, is it? I <laughs> <laughs> don't think so. Uh, now $72 in the pot. Um, and back on us. Yeah, well, he won the check raise, so let's check raise. We got a bunch of guys on the hook here, and we need to get some of them off. Um, I like a bet here. I mean, I like a, a big bet here. You know, if it's 72 in the pot, I don't mind. You know, if we were going to three bet what he did, which would be 36, and you add the caller says no. So I, I wouldn't mind Ben Pot again, you know, like 70 here. Well, here's the interesting thing is, so um, I, not a lot's changed here. We've got more money in the pot. That's what's changed, right? So he seemed to be a little cautious about the under-the-gun player. I mean, maybe not cautious, but he wanted to see what he did first. Well, he bet 12 bucks, and now we got everybody still in the hand except for one. <laughs> So if the detention was to check race, we have to check race here. But what's changed? I mean, the villain could still, if we were worried about the villain having a better hand, he's bet it, right? So he's not giving us any indication that he doesn't. Um, well, what's changed is that they all, the people who stayed in the hand see something in this hand, whether it's drawing or, you know, if they, if they had just a little piece of it or it wasn't a draw, they might have folded for a decent bet. If it was, they had a huge piece of it, they might have raised. So no one raised, and people just called. So they're probably drawing, or they have, they have less than we have. Well, exactly. And that's that's what I was saying. Is I mean, we have to do the check raise now, yeah, right? We got to gotta get we got to get those limpers out because they're definitely drawing here, right? Right. Uh, but so now, what happens if uh, the villain re-raises? Villain re-raises now, which is kind of what our initial fear was before, and we would have been in that same situation with less money in the pot had we done. If we bet out in the beginning, I think. I, I don't care what anybody – if somebody wants to get more money in the middle with us on this hand, I'm happy for it. I'm definitely making it, you know, something well, where he might oh, even yeah, be raised. I, I don't disagree. I, I, I'm curious why Vic wanted to see what the villain was going to do first. I mean, I, this is not a board that a under-the-gun straddler is probably not going to bet. So he did about what I thought. The other players did about what I thought. So, I mean, nothing. That, I guess that's what I'm saying. Nothing's really surprising in what happened here. So. Uh, yeah, okay. I thought you meant, well, yeah. So, yeah. So, okay. So, and nothing says, really shocked surprising, us. So. Yeah, nothing was surprising <laughs> by that to me. Kind of I mean, curious why he's surprised and I'm not surprised. I, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm thinking about making it like 60 to 70. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think you got to make it. you got to make it big enough to get those those limbers out now. I mean, there's plenty of money, plenty of their money already in this pot now. Let's get them out and not worry about them out, uh, out drawing us somehow. And let's get heads up with our villain and go to battle. Yep. Not battle Winterfell because I want to be able to see something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It seems like a small bet from the villain. And with the flush and Broadway draws, I can see some of these older players calling to see a turn car. Now's the time to thin the field. There we go, Vic. Yeah. Back in yeah, he's back in there. Gets his card back uh, on a probation basis. <laughs> I decided to raise $50. I absentmindedly grabbed two $1 chips and a stack of red and moved my hand over the betting line. I dropped a $12 call and cut out the $50 raise and two stacks of five chips each. I have four more chips in my hand hovering a bet above my bet and realized that I'm committed to make it a $70 raise. So I tried to make it look as natural as possible and put the extra four chips on top of my $50 raise. I don't think it's a bad development here. But, yeah. uh, my slight delay does not go unnoticed by the dealer nor by the villain. Uh, side note, he says, what do we think of the strict betting line rule? That's discussion for another show. <laughs> right. Uh, the villain thinks for a moment, assembles his bet behind the betting line, and slides at 150, making it 162 to go. The other three players relinquish their $12 calls and fold. It's now $80 on us to call. I mean, unless he has a set, and how likely is a set in the straddle? You know, I mean, if he had the straddle, he wouldn't have wrapped the table with pocket jacks, pocket kings, or even pocket eights. He probably would have done something. I don't think so, right? Yeah. So, I mean, he's drawing. He's either drawing or he's got something similar like jack eight or king eight. So I, I'm i happy to get it in with him. I'm happy to raise again. And if this guy really thinks he's going to outplay us, it's not happening here. You know what I mean? And if he does have a set, 
if it's a lower set, obviously, because it can't be the if you got the case two, then we suck. But um, if yeah, it's eight, eights, are more likely of any of the three yeah, sets. and we still have outs, so I, I have no problem getting it in now. Yeah, I will pretty, be pretty sick if he turns over a set here, just because I think if you're going to straddle, those are the kind of hands that you want to raise with, because people think you're going to raise from a straddle with anything, right? right. So uh, they actually have a hand and do it is the way you want to do it. I think. You know, again, I I can't get I can't get in the mind of a straddler. It doesn't none of it makes sense to me anyhow. But if I was a straddler, that's what I would do. So uh, I think you're right. I think we had the best of it here. So all right, uh, Vic says the villain has left himself just uh, less than three hundred hours behind. I think he would have taken his option with any pocket pair on the straddle. So my top two should be ahead, as he shouldn't have a set here. Ah, we're all in agreement now. Crazy. With the low two hundred dollar max buy-in, players like this need to semi bluff just to accumulate accumulate enough chips to play poker. So flush draw, straight draw, or some combo draw is certainly in his range. If this is the case and I jam, I think he'll snap call and he might be flipping. I think I'd like to see a safe turn card first and decide to just call. Oof. All right. Well, you know what? I mean, I, the minute I said it, I don't mind shoving here. I didn't know how much the guy had. So the fact that he's got like three hundred behind, or what was a hundred? How much was it behind? Uh, three hundred behind. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm shoving. I'm probably, probably just calling to, and then seeing the turn. I I wasn't. I was thinking that we had the guy covered with like eighty bucks left or something. I didn't think that it was that deep. So yeah, I might call and be happy on the turn, and then judge from there. You know, if the ace of clubs comes on on the turn, I'm probably going to be a lot more cautious with you know, check calling or something. So yeah, I feel, I didn't realize it was that deep. I'm not shoving. I don't think either. So I, I, I think I like his call there. I'm just kind of worried. I mean, are we going to, are we, are we setting ourselves up to get scared off of a hand that we might have the best hand here? You know, if that flush or straight comes on the turn. Cause he said he's looking for a safe turn card, right? So what do we do when a non safe turn card comes? Yeah. We check, check and let him bet. And then, then we have to decide whether he has it or not. Um, I guess that's why I would check race here. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, all right. With 384 in the pot, uh, this is becoming the largest pot of the evening. The turn is the tray of hearts, making the board king of clubs, jack of clubs, eight of diamonds, tray of hearts. And we're first act. Heads up. Okay, well, now we're happy. It's 300 in the pot. I have no problem putting in, you know, 150 or so. Um, I'm happy now. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to shove. I mean, I could shove. Um and he has one card to come, but I, I like a I like a big bet here. So uh, there's well, no way I'm not betting. Yeah, what's rich, interesting about this is if we we knew he would take another stab at this, this is a perfect place to check, and then now we can get it all in, right? Because the safe card came. Uh, if he's on a draw, though, he, the, the chances of him betting here are pretty slim, right? He's going to take that free card to try to beat us now, I think. So we're kind of forced into betting here, I think. But it it kind of now now both of our hands are face up, I think. So, but if that's the case, we've got the best hand right now. So I guess I, I don't mind having my hand face up and him having his hand face up. Uh, but I sure would like to check and let him take one more shot of bluffing us off this hand. But yeah, I just I need to get some money in now, and I don't care if he folds. That's a huge pot for what was basically a blind hand. So yeah. I have no problem just just betting it out here and hoping he lets it go. And if he if he calls again and then he gets a scare card in the end, that's gonna suck. So I want to bet enough that this guy is gonna have to shove. And then hey, you know, I, if I don't have the best hand here, I don't know. Then I wasn't. I'm never gonna have the best hand. So I don't know. I mean, it could be a king or a jack comes on the end, but uh, I, I I love my hand right now. I love the situation, and I need to bet. All right, Vic says uh, the the tray is a blank, and I'm not going anywhere. We're getting it in one way or, uh, or another, but which is best? Uh-huh, see the discussion we just had there. Hmm. Let's see which side he sides on. You know me, I don't want to have to show my hand unless necessary, so let's allow our opponent to show up so he has to table his hand first. If we're beat, we can safely mock. We check. Our opponent shoves his remaining 285. We snap call, and our opponent says, good luck. I ask him uh, if I'm the one that needs the luck, and he says, maybe not. <laughs> but before the dealer can act, one of the players pipes up and says, are you going to run it twice? I look at the player and tell him that I don't think you can run it twice at a 1-2 table. The dealer lets us know that we can run it as many times as we'd like, as long as there's over 1,000 in the pot, which he says there is. Wow, that's an interesting rule. Nice. Hmm. 
Neither of us have tabled our cards. Our opponent says it's my call. So how many times do we run it? And this is a new situation for me, as I assume it would be for most one-two players. Wow, I didn't realize we we're going to go down this road here. Hmm. I'm glad you're. Uh, I'm glad you're screening the hands of the week for the show. <laughs> well, I read them years ago. I mean, uh, uh, here's the thing. I, I think we think we're we have the best hand, don't we? Yeah. Has anything changed? I mean, he said good luck, but and then we asked him if anyone did think he says maybe not. Uh, if we think we have the best hand, we don't want to run it twice. We want to run it once, right? I know, but people like insurance. You know, Phil Helmuth is yeah, constantly trying bet, to buy insurance. Worst bet ever, so. Yeah. Um, but people like it. People like to mitigate their losses. If it's some club comes on the end and we lose, then we're going to be like, damn, I could have run it twice and gotten half my money back, you know, and then just break even or whatever. But um, uh, I don't know if I – I don't know. I, I don't mind running it twice because I want that same, you know, chance given to me when I'm behind. Um. So I don't mind running it twice because I think I'm going to win at least one of them, um, and maybe both. Uh, it's it's hard to imagine if he's drawing I'm going to lose both, but it's easy to imagine winning both or winning at least one. So I don't know. I think I run it twice with the guy. Just twice because he said you could do it more than twice. Yeah, I mean some people insist on three times, so there's a winner and a loser. But I I have no problem running it twice. That way it's a flip, and then I think I'm 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 favored to win one of the flips since I'm already ahead. I think so. Well, I guess that's. I mean, again, I've never ran it twice ever in my life, so I'm. I I don't know the strategy as well either. But again, I think if you think you're ahead like we do, you either run it once or you run it three times, so you have a chance of getting more of the money, right? I don't think you run it twice. I think. Um, so if you're if you're looking for the insurance and you want to run it twice, uh, I would say three x, three times here. Um, if you feel you're ahead and don't want the insurance, uh, politely decline. Yeah. I I, I I've run it twice before. Most of the times I've done it in like Gambit's home game, and then there was one time I really wanted to run it twice, and he wouldn't do it with me. He had the best hand, and I was going for the nut flush draw, and he wouldn't do it, and I lost. Jerk. So uh, yeah, uh, but I I don't mind it. It's it's something that you know, especially in your home game, and you don't want to go broke in your home game. You know, you want to keep playing and you with your friends and stuff. You want to give your friends a chance to to stick around for the night or something. Then I don't mind it. Uh, in this case, you know, you're in a public room so if you just think you have the nuts and you don't want to give it up you know i wouldn't run it twice either but i'm inclined to run it twice and somebody asks me so in this case yeah let's run it twice all right uh if he's got clubs i'd be sick if he hit his flush in the river so maybe we we maybe we would run it twice but if all he has is a flush draw uh maybe running it 3x or 4x gets me closer to my true equity i doubt he's got a set of kings he's got a set of eights i may need multiple runouts if for some odd reason he's got a set of jacks, I'm pretty much dead. Uh, then I think back to what he said when he wished me good luck. I'm certainly crushing any other two-pair holding. I finally decide the uh, ladder's more probable and tell the dealer to run it twice. The river's the queen of spades. For a second, I'm worried about the ace, uh, ace of clubs, ten of clubs, or some strange king-queen. But since we chose to check call the turn, we get to see the opponent's hand first. Our opponent tables king of hearts, eight of hearts. For flop, top, and bottom ter- uh, pair, and we scoop. Nice. Wait, so wait, what, what were the two cards that he flipped twice for? Yeah, I, he doesn't really say. All right, okay, hold on. He says, uh, P.S., looking back at the betting, there was a $31 bet pre-flop, 360 on the flop, and 570 on the turn for a total of 961 With a $5 rake and $2 drop, that reduces the 954 well under the 1000 minimum to run it twice. If we ran it twice and it came queen of spades on the first board and then eight of spades on the second board, could I have called the floor once I realized that my half of the pot was less than 500 and be awarded the entire pot due to deal air? No, no way. <laughs> you, no. you agreed to it. So uh, After all, we're just trying to avoid deal errors, and the queen of spades on the first board would have given me all the pot anyway. Uh, why should I give up the half the pot due to deal air? Well, because you're responsible for knowing what the pot is. So. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, did I... Oh, I'm sorry. He said the dealer to run it once. I said twice. That's where I got confused. My fault. All right. So he said that the dealer run it once, but he, he could have run it twice. Yeah. He, or he was yeah. thinking, right, so he ended, he ended up running it once. Wow. Interesting. I mean, I don't have a problem running it once, especially when you know you're, in a head, you're ahead. And the way the guy said it, it didn't make it sound like he had a made hand. You know, yeah. uh, good luck. And it's like, why would you be wishing me luck if I'm – you know, if so, if you're the one that's drawing, we don't need the luck. So, you know, he unless he thought we were drawing with him. Um, so, 
Yeah, it makes sense that he had a made hand by saying good luck to you. Um, and it, it's exactly what we thought. It was a different two pair. Not exactly, but we'd mentioned that because it looked like, why would this guy be pushing it so hard on a draw? You know, he kept betting it and betting it on a draw. So I don't know if I like the check um, at the end there that we did to get him to bet check. Because what if he didn't bet? What if he just checks behind and he gets the free? You know, what if he got scared by your call, right? You you he you bet he raised and then you called. Now you check and now he's scared and you gave him the free card. To, you know what I mean? He could have been betting his straw that way, and then you gave him a free look at the river. And because he called your bet, he might have been nervous that he was behind, and then check. You know, you didn't know he had that. He could have had a draw. So I really don't like to check on the on the turn or on the river. I mean, I I really thought. I'm kind of confusing two streets there when I'm, the way I was talking about it. What I meant was just that once we called on that turn, check called, we were talking about, hey, we want a safe card, and then we don't even bet it. And then we just call. So then he's going to be nervous on the river. He might, you, you might let him off the hook on the end um, from the value there. But at the same time, if you were positive he was drawing, there's no way he could win. You know, I don't know. It's just, to me, it's, I don't know. I, I, I When it's on that turn, when that turn comes, I, I got to bet it. Um, but he shoved on you, so you got what you wanted, I guess. Oh, so, yeah. But anyway, good hand. Well, uh, it, interesting. You know, hindsight, now that we know what he had, obviously he was going to shove there, right? Because he, yeah. he didn't give us a chance of, of drawing on him. Our draw, which we didn't need to, so. But uh, but everything seemed to indicate that he was on a, a draw himself, so. Because it did, it, we, we did play it like we were drawing. Sort yes, of. exactly. Yep. So, you know, yeah. Um, interesting. It's like he he's got this sort of crystal ball sometimes when he plays. Um, to me, I would have I would have bet that that turn. No, I wouldn't have checked it. But anyway, nice hand, Vic, and glad you made your way down here. And uh, let us know what you thought of the rooms. I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antietmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antietmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music Network.